0: listening no you're listening to the buns.com podcast network <laughs> <laughs> buns 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 i want to give you something real- Buns, how's it hanging? So, much like a couple weeks ago, this week's episode is going to be a little different. Rather than the regular ISO podcast you are used to, you're going to hear one of the other podcasts on the Buns Podcast Network. It is a show called 2084 about sustainable living and sustainability. If you want to know more, or you want to check out the other shows on the Buns Podcast Network, go to podcast.buns.com. And as always, if you want to sign up for Buns, just hit up buns.com or download it on the Google Play Store or the Apple App Store. All right, guys, here is 2084 Buns, Buns, Buns. Climate Change Refugees. We always think of, well, what's climate change going to do? Oh, there's some islands that might disappear. There's some areas in Africa that are going to experience more drought that people are going to have to leave and there's going to be refugees. But when we see that happening in Canada, people that their homes are destroyed because of the flooding, you know, they have to leave because of wildfires that are, that are caused by these extreme weather events. That's where I think people start making that connection Now, will we do something about it? That's the bigger challenge, and how quickly will we do it? um...
1: From Sustainable Joes, it is an absolute pleasure to welcome you to episode number two of 2084 podcast about designing tomorrow, creating a sustainable future for all, told by the people who are building it today. Hi, I'm Stephen Such. And from whatever device you're currently listening to this podcast on, to our refrigerators, which are keeping our food fresh right now. I think we can all agree that our lives run on energy. But have you ever wondered, where will our energy come from in the future? Well, in this week's episode, I sit down with Ron Seftal, the CEO of Bullfrog Power, Canada's largest green energy provider. We talk about how Saudi Arabia is currently selling off some of their sovereign oil company to invest in solar. We talk about how there are Canadian climate refugees right now, and we also talk about how you and I, Everyday Joes, Sustainable Joes, can support the transition to renewable energy. At the end of the day, the U.S. solar industry employed more workers in 2016 than oil, gas, and coal combined. I'm on the side of people, planet, profit,
0: and clean power,
1: and I hope you will join me there. Okay, that's enough of my monologue. This is my conversation with Ron Seftal. I hope you enjoy.
0: Get to have a beer, thanks to Steam Whistle. Um... Very good, great partner of ours for sure for a long time.
1: Mm-hmm. They're 100% powered by Bullfrog yep, Power, right? Absolutely. Is that across the board or just their energy?
0: Uh, well, the, yeah, Their electricity? So, yeah, so their electricity. Uh, so what it means is, you know, from, from the day they signed up, we match as much electricity as they use into the grid, which allows them to make that claim that everything they do at the roundhouse is, is Bullfrog powered or 100% green electricity.
1: As the CEO of Bullfrog Power, Canada's, what do we have here? Canada's largest provider of green energy. Most kids grow up, you know, wanting to be a firefighter or a baseball player. How did you end up as a chartered accountant Mm -hmm. and then ultimately the CEO of Canada's largest provider of green energy? Yeah,
0: it's probably not that uh, exciting, but one of my former colleagues who worked in a software company was one of the first employees of Bullfrog. So he's he's an IT guy, but he lives a very sustainable life. He lives up in Orangeville. His walls are made of straw bale, he's got a green roof, he's got a wind turbine in his backyard, solar panels. And so he he's my connection to Bullfrog. So he he left our company to start at Bullfrog. He, he came to me to resign and I was trying to convince him, why would you leave this great company? Where are you going? And he described what Bullfrog was trying to do. This was pre-launch so they hadn't started but what the vision was. By the end of the conversation I said, Yeah, you should leave here and call me when you need someone like me. And about a year and a half in, called up and said, we're growing, we're a real company, we've got customers, we need, we're hiring. So this is 2003, 2004 This was 2004. They launched in the fall, we launched in the fall of 2005, and then I joined in early 2007. So I missed the first uh, year and a half, which was a bit crazy, Uh, but at that time we were we, we had residential customers. We were starting to build our commercial customer base, and we were just about to launch out of Ontario into Alberta, so starting that geographic launch across the country.
1: What did he say in that conversation that like kind of sparked your interest? Because, I mean, if you go from, well, like, I, I, how the hell do you leave yeah. to you should definitely leave.
0: Yeah. So a couple of things. This was so again. If you if you kind of go back to two thousand and four, I always say Bullfrog started pre-Al Gore Inconvenient Truth. Okay. Climate change was not a topic that many people sat around and talked about. It certainly wasn't in the media. Um, so when when John came to me and talked about this this vision of Bullfrog about creating a better energy system, going one hundred percent renewable through in the concept of climate change and the impacts that's having, for me it was, it was two things. One was it was sounded new, exciting, um, you know, at the forefront of a new industry, which was, which is, you know, interesting for a lot of people, but it was talking about the energy system and going to hundred percent renewable, which for me was, that's going to be topical today. It's going to be topical a decade from now. It's going to be topical, you know, when you start at that time, when we started saying, oh, well, climate change is going to impact us by 2050. Well, that means, you know, this is going to be topical and relevant for 40 years, 50 years, meaning it's a good industry to get into, especially if you get in at that early stage.
1: I would make the argument that climate change is already affecting us today. That's one thing that we tried to illustrate in the documentary. We have Allison Higgins from the sustainability manager of yes. Key West. And she's like, Stephen, we have 11 intersections that flood right now. For sure. How has Bullfrog been able to change the perspective of the consumer? Because I mean, quite literally, you, you sell an invisible product. Yeah. We think of energy as, as a light switch. For sure. And you're getting people to pay more
0: and use the same light switch. And, and I think you hit on it. I, I was speaking last night at an event where we had to talk about the fact, I showed pictures of we were selling a wind turbine as opposed to a chimney stack. When people think about electricity, and there was a picture of a hand flipping on a light switch, that's how people interact with electricity. We don't have electricity generating facilities in our backyard, in our uh, on our roof. Historically, so we had to engage with them to think about where does this come from, where does this, you know, what's at the other end of the wire, which again a lot of people didn't think about. Um, so we were making that intangible product trying to make it more tangible. At the same time, trying to draw that connection between, but how does, how does renewable electricity help mitigate climate change? What is climate change? Again, you know, 10 years ago it was a very different conversation. So what does that mean and what's the connection? Which just means we had to create a lot of our, You know, again, at this, at this talk I spoke at last night, I was saying, we thought we had a great product. Having a great product wasn't enough it was all of the attributes and how you deliver that product and how you talk about it so the newsletters that we send out to our customers the lawn signs that we gave our residential customers to say put this on your front lawn so that your neighbors can engage in a conversation about this Uh, we were holding events to bring people together and we still do to get like-minded people having that conversation sharing best practices about energy and conservation And all of that was necessary to to really change the dialogue and bring it to the forefront so that people understood the connection between all these things.
1: Do you think people understand the connection between all these things? Yeah. Across
0: Canada? And um, across North America, across the world? You know, it's hard to say everybody understands when you see what's going on south of the border. But I think I think it's it's certainly more clear now that as you said, we're living, we're seeing the impacts of climate change. I have a friend who, um, his brother worked for Suncor in the oil sands, so when the Fort McMurray fires happened last year, he and his family had to move back to Oakville, move in with his parents. His family is still here, his kids had to leave their school that they were in and go to school in Oakville. And so, you know, I draw on that example to say there's, Canada has climate change refugees we always think of, well, what's climate change going to do? Oh, there's some islands that might disappear. There's some areas in Africa that are going to experience more drought that people are going to have to leave and there's going to be refugees. But when we see that happening in Canada, people that their homes are destroyed because of the flooding, you know, they have to leave because of wildfires that are, that are caused by these extreme weather events. That's where I think people start making that connection now, will we do something about it? That's the bigger challenge. And how quickly will we do it? And um, I point to a bunch of things quite often in 2016. Paris was obviously a big uh, moment for countries and businesses to sign up to the Paris Accord. But but prior to that, there was a G7 meeting where com- countries agreed that by 2100, we would stop burning fossil fuel. And so for, for me, that's a big uh, pivot point where they started saying it's not if or Um, should we or shouldn't we it's yes we definitely have to do this okay now let's set that 85 years from now so the argument or the dialogue changes to it can't be 2100 it's got to be 2050 or 2030 or even sooner but it's a more productive dialogue than saying no we don't have to and so you know back to your original question you know some of the things that are happening south of the border are disheartening but it's good to see the Canadian government, um, countries like uh, China and India are, are going headfirst into this. Saudi Arabia is selling part of their um, oil company, sovereign oil company, to invest in solar. So you can see some of those shifts happening, which I think is, is the the, you know, the train has left the station or whatever. What happens in the US is a blip and it'll, I think it'll, it'll correct itself. Um, but it's still a matter of now, we have to act faster, sooner.
1: Hey everyone, just a quick shout out to two of our supporters. First, to Steam Whistle Brewing, from their 100% renewably powered brewery to their green bottles which can be reused up to three times more than a standard brown bottle, quote-unquote. Steam Whistle is proud to support Sustainable Joes as we work to create a sustainable tomorrow together. 2084 is also thankful for the support of Buns, your city network. Buns connects you with the people in your neighborhood to help you find the things you need to fuel your real life or swap things you already have to get the items you need. You can find jobs that pay the bills, homes for rent, advice, and just a place to talk about your city. Buns is available online at buns.com, that's Buns with a Z or Z, and on your phone via the Apple App Store and Google Play Store. Lastly, this podcast is publicly funded. Thank you to all those who support our monthly Patreon campaign. If you have the capacity to contribute or would like your business to be highlighted on this podcast, send us a message at sustainablejoes.com. That's Joes with an S. Because whether you're Joseph or Joanne, together we are a group of Joes. Now, back to the show. My position is that, like, the Earth is a planet. Obviously, it, is, it has a finite amount of resources. Absolutely. If we continue to burn fossil fuels, they will run out. When it comes to nuclear, it, nobody wants to deal with the radioactive waste. It's unsafe, and you just don't want it in your backyard. Therefore, 100% transition to renewables is the only sustainable and viable way to move forward. As Canada's largest provider of green energy, how exactly does bullfrog power operate?
0: So the way we work was, we were founded on the belief that individuals and, and organizations should have a choice in their energy um, and how it gets produced and, and for, for a long time and in, and in many jurisdictions today, uh, that's not a choice that people have, it's a commodity and it's up to the local utility or the local government to decide what that mix is, but we had the belief that um, across the board, the products that we consume, you have choice. The, the food that you eat, you can you can buy local, you can buy organic, the products that we that we buy can where it can be sourced and where it can be made and how they treat their employees. They had that choice. And so we thought it should be the same thing for your energy. Now, how do you do that? We're not going to build a separate distribution grid that would be costly and not make any sense. But but we came up with a model that said we could basically act as that aggregator. So go out and work with renewable energy developers, um, pay them that premium that was necessary and is necessary at the time to compete with conventional fossil fuel energy and put that onto the grid on behalf of our customers. And the way we can do that is through a matching concept. So we understand how much electricity our customers use on on a monthly or annual basis. And we ensure that that much is put onto the grid on their behalf.
1: How exactly does the grid work just so like everybody's on the same page?
0: Sure. Historically, the the way the the grid was built out was you've got these large uh, generation facilities, so so coal plants or, or gas plants, or even there's, you know, in Ontario, we've got, we're blessed, a lot of Canada's blessed with large hydro facilities. So the power gets generated there. It captures that kinetic energy, puts it onto a transmission wire. And basically the way electricity works, and I'm not the engineer uh, or the scientist in the, but it basically flows to where that demand is. So it comes from these big generating stations into where it's needed. In Ontario, that means a lot of electricity is flowing into the GTA. Um, And then it, it basically goes down wires smaller and smaller till it gets to the distribution grid that's the wire that goes into your home and gets consumed in the appliances and the light bulbs in your house. Where we're moving to is a more, and and so when you do that, you lose a lot of electricity, transmission losses, because of the inefficiency that it's traveling on a wire. So we move to a more distributed grid, which means smaller facilities in the jurisdictions where that power is closer to where that power is being consumed, which the the ultimate of that is, if you can make your home a power generator, put solar on your roof, that's gonna be the most efficient way to generate and consume that power. You're not going to lose any of that electricity in transporting it. Excuse me, um, But not everybody can do that. And that's where our model really started out was not everybody can put solar panels on their roof. They don't have the right, uh, you know, the right, it's not south facing, it's, it's got the, the wrong pitch. Um, it's got a big tree in their backyard, which is, which is my problem that I couldn't put solar up there because the sun just doesn't hit it. So our model was connecting those folks with facilities outside of their jurisdiction where they could still support renewable energy and, and get all the benefits of doing that, but not having to put it on site.
1: So I'm hoping, really hoping, you can help me defend Bullfrog to my roommate. So in London, before I, I went and lived off grid for year one of the project, I was a bullfrog uh, customer. We've moved to Toronto, me and one of my like best friends, like four months ago, yep. and I'm like so excited for this because I've been trying to justify bullfrog to him. Our debate lies right here. As a corporation, how is bullfrog positioned in the market? Essentially, is it an energy producer or a distribution company similar to one's local power utility? I mean, you mentioned it's not a distribution company, but what exactly is it? And where do I sell him
0: on the value? Sure, so, so we describe ourselves as a green energy provider. So, so while we don't own and operate the facilities that we buy from, although we do make some investments, and I'll, I'll come back to that, is we act as that aggregator. So, so you, if you wanted to help contribute to a wind farm, and you went to that owner of the wind farm and said, listen, I want to pay you a bit extra for that because I think it's worth it, there's no facility for him to do that, for that owner of that to do that. But when we can come with 10,000 residential customers, 1,500 businesses and say, listen, this is the demand that we have, we can actually get more renewable built. We can actually entice developers to say, well, that's great, I'll put up a wind turbine. I'll you know, build a solar facility. And how, how do you do that? Do you do that by giving them like a power of purchase agreement? Exactly, a PPA. So we're basically saying, you build, inject that into the grid, and we're going to pay you for that power. So it's that ability for them to get financing, to go to the bank and say, listen, I've got customers. I'm not just going to build this thing in the hopes that people will buy it. I've got Bullfrog, and they actually have customers that are buying. So it's, it's that supply-demand mix that we help create the market for these. So essentially, Bullfrog aggregated customer base and
1: then went to a a producer and said, look, we, we have the customer base where you can sell this power.
0: We will give you the the power of purchase agreement. Build. Yep, yeah, absolutely. And 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 we do a couple other things. So that was that's the pure, that's the product that we're selling. That's, you know, our contract says you buy a megawatt hour, a megawatt hour is going to go into the grid. So that's the mechanism, that's the product we sell. But we also strongly believe that we need to do more to advance renewable energy. So it's about working with the communities where these facilities are built so that they're supportive of that. We work with a lot of co-ops, cooperatives in Ontario, where uh, maybe that project is not owned by a, a large power generator. Maybe it's owned by the people in that community. So when we're buying that power or supporting that project, the revenues that are coming in from the power that's being generated is actually going to local farmers local investors they're buying green bonds so it it there's a story uh we worked with a group out in nova scotia that built a wind farm and i was talking to a guy and he said i'm a big biker and i'm out cycling and on a windy day it's brutal i'm going up and down these hills and it, i hate now i look over at the wind turbine and i go that's ah, windy it's hard but I'm making money, so that's okay. So it's one of those, you know, uh, uh, a pig farmer shit doesn't stink. Maybe do his neighbors because it's not his pig. But when you can, when you can create that community ownership and everybody, everyone's going to support these projects. So we take some of that premium and try and support these community projects. First Nations communities where they're burning diesel and they don't want to burn diesel. They've got a connection with nature, but that's the only way they can generate electricity in the community. So we can go in and say here's part of our customer premiums. We're going to help you get off diesel. We're going to help you give, give some money so that you can put up some solar. So we do a bunch of things beyond that product that we believe kind of goes above and beyond the core product, but it's necessary if we ever re- really want to move to 100% renewable.
1: When it builds social capital, it, it, it's beautiful. What exactly is the energy mix? Like, How do you get somebody off of burning diesel? How do you empower those First Nations communities?
0: Yeah, so, this, so the start is solar. I mean, uh, it's, it's an easy technology. Um, there was some First Nations communities in the north that looked at wind um, and they started doing that, but the problem was you needed, some, you needed a technician in the community and there's stories of, you know, they would go in and teach someone how to maintain this turbine and then they would get married and they'd leave the community and then no one was left there. So it's, it's kind of shifting to more solar Solar is a pretty easy technology. Once it's constructed, maybe you have to brush some snow off every once in a while, but it's a great technology. And and so that's the first step, is just introducing that into a a community. The next step, which is where um, a bunch of companies and organizations are looking, is you almost have to create its own microgrid. So with a microgrid, you would need to really cut, cut off diesel and not have that as a backup, is you need storage. You need more solar. Um, you need to be able to. Um, the, the key is really storing that energy so that you've got it 24 hours a day, seven days a week, five, 52 weeks a year. The projects that we're doing now are really that initial demonstration scale that says, "Listen, solar does work in the Arctic. Amazing enough. There's times a year when it's sunny, 21 hours a day, it's producing." You know. February, maybe not so much, but it's still that introduction that these things work in cold climates, in snowy climates. And so that's what we're trying to do is introduce that, tell those communities' story to other communities so they can start replicating it. And then, you know, the bigger funding and the federal government, again, has released a bunch of money in this past budget to look at microgrids in these communities. So I think it'll, it'll get there.
1: I actually moved back to Canada to start a solar company participating in Ontario's feed and tariff program. Gotcha. And the way I would always sell my arrays, being a, an array being a grouping of solar panels for the listeners, right? <laughs> uh, was it, it's like buying a tractor, parking it in a field or on your roof, and as long as the sun shines, you're going to make money for the next 20 years.
0: Absolutely.
1: When we talk about these, these communities, when we talk about these microgrids, like what is the best example that you have? Uh, or or your biggest success? Like what are you most proud of as CEO of Bullfrog Power?
0: Um, I mean, there's lots of things. I'll give you, I'll try and give you a couple examples. One is, um, and I'll talk about First Nations communities first. So there's a, actually one of our employees has now moved up to Lutz Okay, it's in the Northwest Territories. They built a solar array, and they had the option of getting funding to build that array and sell the, basically, the, the local utility in the Northwest Territories would own it and would pay them, um, basically help them reduce the cost of their electricity. But almost they, like net metering? Almost, but, they, but they, what they decided to do was actually create their own independent power producer, an IPP, so that they would own the facility and sell the power back into the, into the utility. And they did it at a lower rate than what the utility was offering. But because it was a different model, it was actually creating an e- a source of economic wealth for the community. They now owned that facility, it was theirs. It wasn't the utilities that was there and it was someone else's problem. It was their problem, but also now their source of revenue. So, and, and for them, that's, that, that's again one of those stories of this is what communities, First Nations communities want sources of economic activity. They don't want grants and you know some of them have land rights Uh, fees that come in they want jobs for their people in their community so this is one where it's actually creating jobs and wealth for the community
1: I think everybody though wants jobs and wealth for their Uh, community right like whether it's first nations or people in the GTA the greater Toronto area or or if you're out in Leamington
0: for sure I mean we also work with a with a group called iron and earth and so it's oil sands workers that have said listen we're just tradespeople. we're iron workers we're electricians we work in the oil sands because that's where the jobs are. But we would happily build solar plants or wind farms. So retrain us on that and then let's go. That's the, you know, that's a lot of this, you know, clean tech and, and investing in renewables. And there's a debate about, well, you're you're going to hurt the Canadian economy because we're a resource based economy. You know, wind and wind and solar uh, are resources as well. but but by building those out, you are investing in, you're creating jobs, you're creating GDP. There's no reason why we can't shift over time to becoming a resource, in the ground resource to an external resource uh, economy.
1: I'm gonna backtrack a second. Is it fair to say then that Bullfrog Power, as well as being a provider of green energy, is also an accelerator of the the construction or capacity of green energy being injected
0: into the grid? Um, I mean, I think that's for other people to, to put names like that. And what, what we think of is, so our mission is, is to help empower people to act and move towards a 100% renewably powered future. And so the way we do that is we uh, encourage people to actively participate in, in the, this shift. So that's buying our product, being able to claim renewable energy for the facilities that they work in or live in, excuse me, but but again, with part of their dollars, we're going out and we're injecting that into different communities to to help them create their own story and and move off that. So accelerating, again, we're we're at the demonstration scale level. We're not building hundreds of megawatts, thousands of megawatt hours. We're doing but we're doing it in over a hundred communities across the country, in the Arctic, in on Salt Spring Island out in Nova Scotia in you know northern Saskatchewan which which that's where we th- we think that brings the conversation to a different level to that grassroots level where again you you need that support to ultimately be able to make that transition you need everybody seeing the benefits that the local jobs the you know uh, being supportive of so that's that's again part of our mission is is doing that
1: the power that bullfrog puts into the grid this, was, this is back to my roommate. Uh, <laughs> is it a surplus, or is it actually displacing and eliminating like dirty power from the grid?
0: Sure. Uh, it's, it's one of those, it's, it's, it's hard to look at it on a minute-by-minute basis. The way the electricity grids, and, and today, for the most part, you can't store an electron. So, so there really is a displacement in the sense that every time a wind turbine in Ontario produces energy, that means... Um, the need for another source to produce doesn't need to happen. Now again, in Ontario we have a big base load, they call it, so things that you can't turn on and off. So nuclear is one of those things. You can't dial down nuclear, it takes a couple days to do that. So there is surplus energy that gets created at certain times of the day in Ontario, and that goes, you know, we sell that to New York or maybe Manitoba or Quebec. So it's, u- it's being used somewhere. But in the grand scheme of things, if you look at it as anytime renewables produce, that means you're taking something, the term is off the margin, and usually what's on the margin is gas or coal. It's fossil fuel based. That's what they would ramp up to meet that unmet demand if renewables weren't happening. So that's really where that displacement happens.
1: When we talk about a 100% transition to renewables, yeah. the Liberals made a promise in November to, by 2025, all federal government energy will be based off of renewables. Now we're talking about thousands of megawatts. Do you think they'll hit that target?
0: I do. Uh, We're already seeing there was a big announcement a couple weeks ago that they, um, I think it was a renewal, but they entered into a contract with NMAX, which is Uh, you know, the energy provider to the city of Calgary, but they own wind farms where they're buying uh, renewable electricity for a bunch of their Alberta facilities. So I do think they, it's one of those things they can move the needle, right? They're a big enough player that if they go out and procure that power, there will be be more facilities that get built. Uh, The government of Alberta is looking at, putting solar on a bunch of their facilities out there so there's an active procurement to go out and, and get that power. So I do think they'll, they'll hit that.
1: How does Bullfrog measure success?
0: Um, so we, we've started defining internally as the impact that we have. So you can define impact. I was going to say, how do, you, how do you define impact? A lot of different ways, right? It's, it's well, how many customers do you have? What's, what's your revenue? Um, but we look at it, you know, how many projects have we supported? Uh, that's a big one for us. So again, we talk about these community projects. There's, there's a hundred different communities that we've, uh, that we've supported financially, you know, sometimes big, sometimes small at critical points in their stage. But I'd say we had, we had a woman in our office last week from a community um, Jess Housty from Bella Bella. So it's a remote community on the coast of BC, um, they're a community that is reliant on fishing and tourism. Um, they had a diesel spill last fall 130,000 liters of diesel spilled into the bay um, that a barge ran afloat which you know obviously heavily impacts their fishing industry and tourism and tourism for I would sure imagine. she came into our office we or, or sorry we let me back up we uh, signed an agreement with them that we're going to fund. Uh, putting solar on the roof of a, a community center. It's almost a, a cabin that they've got where they can take their, their kids out to, and some of them are at-risk youth, out to, uh, it's about a 30-minute boat ride from the community to connect with nature. It's something that you know, First Nations have done for years and, and they really wanna teach their young kids how to go do that. They had a, a bunch of tragedies. The, the facility got burned down. Uh, but it's got rebuilt and one of the things they want to do was put solar onto it. So we gave them a grant, they're going to build that out this spring and Jess happened to be in Toronto, so she came into our office to talk to our staff about, about her story, their community's story, and the fact that she was so grateful for the funding that Bullfrog, and, and I always say it's not from Bullfrog, it's our customers, we're taking a piece of every customer premium and giving it to this community, and I'll tell you, the entire staff was. This is why we come into work. This is what's going to motivate me to do my job for the next, you know, X number of months. And we've had a few of those uh, partners come in. For us, that's the impact. Seeing and hearing that person's story from that community is what makes us come into work every day.
1: So then, I, you know, to kind of say what I had said before, is it fair to say then that Bullfrog not only like. It provides green power, but provides a more sustainable way of life for people.
0: Certainly that's that's part of our mission. And sustainability, again, I was at this talk last night and, and um they were polling. What do people think of when they think of sustainability? And and the top one was environment. That's what people think. But it's it's not just the impact on the environment, it's the impact on um on our staff here? What's a, what's a sustainable business model that allows, allows us to hire great people and keep them employed here? Um, you know, We're a for-profit social enterprise, which means enable, to, to be sustainable, we need revenue coming in the door to pay for our staff and pay for these communities. We need to work with suppliers who want to work with us, that we pay them a reasonable rate for that power that's supplied. And of us, obviously, we need customers. So if you look at all of those stakeholders, all of those together is what sustainability re- really means. You need that whole ecosystem, which then you you put that into your life. You need to live in a community where there's supportive individuals. You need a good, strong family life to be supportive. You need to be supporting uh, local businesses for the food that you that uh, that you consume. That type of thing. So again, it's broader than just. You know, well, what's the impact on the environment? What's the carbon uh, emission of that? We take a little broader view than that. I
1: mean, literally, you empower
0: people to live a better life. For sure, and and that's again, we we have newsletters and stories that go out that that try and share those stories. So it's not just about energy; it's about you know, what are people doing in their homes? How are they cooking? Where are they sourcing their food? Which again is that's that's not our product. We're not selling organic groceries or organic uh, fruits and vegetables but if we can tell people how to give them some pointers of where to look to that's that's part of our you know being a connector almost
1: what does 2017 look like for bullfrog
0: Um, again I think interesting we're we're seeing across the board a real conviction to green energy what's happening south of the border it's great to see that a lot of Canadians are saying doesn't matter we're, we're on the right path you know uh, there's lots of debate about carbon pricing and should it be cap and trade or should it be carbon uh, carbon tax revenue neutral carbon tax there's lots of variations but what we see is a carbon price is a good thing to, to start technology so so we're basically doing more of what we've we've done in the past we have a green electricity product we have a green natural gas product and we just launched a green transportation or uh, biodiesel product. So, so the way we look at it now is uh, there's emissions created from all of the energy we consume, and that's from the lights that we put on, from the hot water that we heat up to have our showers, and the gasoline that goes into our car. And so, if we can find renewable sources for all three of those things, we now have a solution to cover all of the emissions that are created, excuse me, by people's lifestyles and by our commercial customers' activities. So it's about expanding that and and talking to more people about these other products that we have besides green electricity. You're on
1: the forefront
0: of energy. Like you get to see the newest things in energy as opposed
1: to the the dirtiest and most archaic things in energy. What, what are some of the products that are emerging on the market that excite you or that like wow you?
0: So there's lots of interesting things happening with storage. So you have uh, you have companies like Tesla and obviously uh, EVs are another pretty exciting thing. Tesla this week became the most valuable car company in North America, passing Ford and GM. They're not producing as many cars as those, but clearly the market and people people want them to succeed. And I think when they come out with their newer uh, their their new model, 3. And model 3, then you'll see more adoption. But they're also uh, getting into battery for your home, the Powerwall, um, which is pretty interesting. Um, Lots of other unique storage opportunities or, or, or uh, technologies. So there's a company in, in uh, out of Toronto called HydroStore. And so they've put basically big balloons at the bottom of Lake Ontario and it's compressed air. So when there's excess electricity in Ontario or cheap electricity, they compress air and put it to the bottom of the lake and it stays compressed because it's got all the pressure of the water. And when you need electricity during peak times, it basically releases that air And generates electricity and so they're no different than a wind turbine but underwater exactly Um, and so it's one of those well why didn't someone think of that sooner now they're looking at different caverns you don't need to do it underwater you can do it in old old mines or old salt caverns which is pretty exciting for a Toronto based company to be at the leading edge of some of those things and that's that's really, when you say we're going to move to 100% renewable, you need all of those solutions. There's no silver bullet. It's not, well, we just have to build more hydro or more wind or more solar. It's all of those things, but but having these unique um, storage opportunities. As well, you're seeing, you know, in the home, the smart connected home that, you know, we have smart thermostats. Um, so I've got my Nest, which is pretty cool, and you can do, do things remotely and, and uh, but now you're seeing those starting to connect to light bulbs and appliances and really drilling down to the appliance level so that you can control the power that you see in your home and and there's a there's a pretty neat um powerpoint that elon musk has where it's got uh because now solar city has rolled into tesla so there's a solar city solar panel on the roof there's a tesla car parked in the driveway and there's a Tesla power wall in the basement of a house, and they're basically saying, you're now gonna be the, the prosumer, you're gonna produce power when you need it, you're gonna store it when there's excess, you're gonna consume, but you've basically become that distributed generation facility, and I think that's pretty exciting when you can control every appliance, including your EV that's parked out in your driveway, and basically decide when do you wanna buy from the grid, if at all, when do you wanna sell to the grid, when do you wanna consume, you know, that's that's uh, one of those things. It's it's future, but we're starting to see that it's happening.
1: Well, and it's yeah, it's here like it's you can do this for sure. You work with over 100 community based projects. Yep. You have over twelve hundred uh, businesses yep. across the country. What are the biggest impact businesses that you see, like businesses that, you know, a way outside of energy that you're like, wow,
0: that's an impact play. I mean, one thing I'd say was all of our customers, we we call them the voluntary market. So every customer that buys renewable electricity from us is is making an impact in the sense that they're communicating the benefits to what we would say is all their stakeholders. The most obvious is their customers. So we've got, you know, someone like Steam Whistle puts the Bullfrog logo on some of their boxes and, and says, for more information, see here. And so you can go to the website and find out what that is. But they're also telling their employees, they're telling their stakeholders, their shareholders that yeah, there is there's risk in our business if we don't do this, and so it educates those people. So just from that, every customer is making a pretty significant impact. But we've got other customers that that are heavy into recycling and looking at new ways to recycle. Um, we've got a we've got a, a customer who is a customer of ours as well, or we're a customer of theirs, is. Uh, they collect the organic waste from our office, and, and they have a worm farm, um, and then they take that dirt and sell it uh, as compost. And so it's that, you know, any of these companies that are... Um,
1: have a cradle-to-cradle type mentality?
0: Exactly. Um, you know, the circular economy, how do, you, how, do you not, uh, how do you not send things to landfill, how do we reuse? You know, those are great examples of, of customers that really get that vision of sustainability and are trying to not just incorporate it into the business, but their entire business is built on that. So as a business person, as a business person in the green
1: space, where do you find the balance between planet and profit? And do you fi- define yourself more as the, the businessman or, or more of an environmentalist?
0: I, I certainly wouldn't call myself an environmentalist. I think I'm I'm uh, someone who's aware of the impacts on the environment, and believe that we should all be taking steps to do that. Also, running a business that's built on that model, um, and so again, we're we're a unique organization in the sense that we're uh, we're one of the Canada's founding B corporations, and it stands for Benefit Corporation. It came out of the U.S. out of the Occupy Wall Street movement, where. People got together and said, listen, companies should not just be about profit for their shareholders. They have to think of all the impact and all the stakeholders. And for us, when we launched, we, we used to call ourselves double bottom line, triple bottom line, social enterprise. We had all these names to try and define how we looked at, at running a business. Um, B Corp and B Lab is the organization that started that was really one of those things that encompassed all of those things. So it's true that internally we look at what is the impact on our customers, on our employees, on our suppliers, and obviously the environment. Um, I mentioned before we work with, these, uh, with 100 great communities across the country. In the past four or five years, we've, we've provided about $2.5 million of financial support, most of that in the form of grants. And so that's where I'd go back and say, yet we're a for-profit social enterprise. The social enterprise is that we're taking money out of the business and granting it to these communities, which is not normal for a for-profit enterprise. And so that's where I think that's that's the proof for us internally and for our customers that we are trying to push the envelope. It's not just about generating revenue so that our shareholders can get a return. It's about how do we do good with the money that's coming in. Do you love what you do? I do love what I do. I, I tell people all the time, I've got the best job in the world. Why? It's, I mean, it's hard. Um, Why is it hard? As I said, we're, we're trying to convince people to pay a premium for a product that we don't deliver to them, that they don't see in their daily lives. You're trying
1: to convince my roommate right
0: now, actually. Exactly. Because
1: <laughs> he's going to listen to this. And,
0: and businesses. <laughs> we're going into a business saying, listen, you should be doing this it's not only the right thing to do, but you're going to build brand loyalty, you're going to build employee engagement. But when push comes to shove, if they want to see the spreadsheet that shows, well, how does this translate to a better bottom line? It's hard to draw that direct connection. A lot of these things are, um, I'll say, a leap of faith, or uh, you know, in the long term, I think, we always say we're on the right side of this argument, but there's lots of debate around that. Um, so that's the hard part. The great part is, again, you know, meeting people like you, but talking to people that have great technologies, talking to people about um, these communities that we work with, you know, that's the rewarding part is like every day is different for me in the conversations I have, and that's where I go home every night re-energized uh, for the next day and the next week.
1: So this question came from our, our Sustainable Joe's Instagram. It comes from a lady named No Bertho. Uh has the ongoing conversation about hydro prices in Canada had any interest or impact on the interest in green energy?
0: Um, yeah I think I think for sure there's there's a lot of misunderstanding about the high electricity prices certainly in Ontario. Um, there was a program called the Green Energy Act where we went out and the government went out and procured new renewable energy and certainly that was uh, paid at, at a price higher than conventional sources as any new source of energy would be. But there was also a lot of money spent on, on grid infrastructure, on refurbishing some of the nuclear plants. And I think a lot of that got bundled together and portrayed in some, uh, in some arguments about it's all about renewable energy. Renewable energy is too expensive. And I think when you, when you actually see the data and break that down, you'll see that that's, that's not in fact what it is. But the other part that I'd say is, you know, without a a solid price on carbon, conventional sources of energy are arbitrarily reduced. And the real cost of that, you haven't priced in something they call externalities. What's the impact on the environment? What's the impact on, on our health? And there's groups like Pemina and the Lung Association that have done studies that says by shutting down the coal plants in Ontario, there was... in. I forget the dates, but in in the early 2000s, there was fifty three smog days. Last year there was none, and the impact on the healthcare system that that's had saves so much money. But that doesn't get brought into the argument about rising electricity prices and the environmental commissioner. Uh, if you ever hear her speak, and she's fantastic, she'll say, "Yeah, our electricity price is a bit higher, but hey, we can breathe again." And so I think when you bring in all of those arguments, um, it's it's a much Clear path to that we're on the right path, and that moving to one hundred percent renewable is the only solution.
1: Do you have hope for the future?
0: I th- yeah, I think you know. Sometimes you can you can talk to people. Um, we've had David Suzuki in our office uh, before, and and you know he's had hope for many years, but he also <laughs> you know gets frustrated, and 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 will say things like you know, uh, human beings took too long to act, and now we're screwed.
1: So and why think, do you have
0: hope? I think th- I think the fact that you do see movement in a bunch of these areas, governments are starting to move, governments across the world, right? You know, um, as I mentioned, uh, India is building more solar than almost every other country other than China. The two big emitters are moving in the right direction. So, so that's where you see that we're on the right trajectory. And more and more people that talk about renewable energy and um, again, last night I was speaking at Rotman Business School to a second year MBA class about sustainability and innovation and how do they create disruptive companies um, to, to lead a more sustainable future. So you see those things happening in one of the leading business schools in Canada. That's where you, you got to have hope.
1: Love it. Last question. Sure. Based off of your expertise, what question do you wish I would ask you and what's the answer?
0: that's a great question I guess I mean one thing that we always say is people always ask the question are there more companies like you is there any competitors and while there's lots of companies that do different things we're a bit unique in that sense Um, and and I guess I would say if there was more companies someone actually last night asked me isn't there more competitors in this space and I said yeah there's there's more opportunities to live a more sustainable life, but that's a good thing, right? That's what we want, you want more choice, you want to be able to have that, so, so it's maybe a bit strange to say, yeah, we want more competitors, but it's one of those things, you know, and, and I think you could look at the car companies now. Tesla has really changed the face of EVs, and now everybody's building an EV, and and. And Musk does things where he says, I'm going to give this technology away for free. I want my competitors to have it. Because it's not about Tesla selling more cars. It's about shifting the entire dynamic of the of the transportation system. And so I think the more companies that are doing this, it's actually, it's actually better.
1: Beautiful. Do you actually have time for one more? Sure. Beside you, people can't see it, but there is a huge green light switch. I'll take a picture and I'll post it. Uh, if you could flip that switch, have a light switch
0: solution, so to speak, yeah. what would happen? I, I mean, the one, the, the, the one solution that we've always talked about for years is put a reasonable price on carbon. That levelizes every technology, every source of energy, and will start that innovation and that, those technologies to say, listen, now we're on equal footing. Now you've priced in all those externalities and immediately you're going to change, you're going to see different technologies that work. I get asked all the time about, well, how come Europe is so, so much further ahead with solar and, and different things? And the fact is they pay a lot more for energy. There's a lot more scarcity of resources over there. So they've had to become more creative and better technology. The appliances that they use are more efficient and smaller. The cars that they drive are smaller and more efficient you know, it's, it's hard to say sometimes, but a higher price on energy will actually spark that and a price on carbon would actually do that.
1: Beautiful, thanks Perfect. so much, eh? Thank you, Yeah, that's great. I very much enjoyed this. Yeah, no problem. That was Ron Seftel of Bullfrog Power. You can find out more at bullfrogpower.com. Now before I sign off, Koji, my producer, had an idea to create episode challenges. This will empower us to take action together, build a better tomorrow together, and to, well, just celebrate community wins. Of course, we will only know that you took action with communication, so I request that you post a picture and include our handle, at Sustainable Joes. You can also use the hashtag, 2084podc2, C for challenge, and two, because, well, this is episode two. Here's this week's challenge. Because heating and cooling takes such an exorbitant amount of energy, we're starting simple. Hang dry a load of laundry. You can see my picture on Instagram and Facebook at Sustainable Joes. And I look forward to seeing your pictures because again, it's only together that we build a better tomorrow. Speaking though of together, maybe challenge a friend to participate too. Now, hang in with me for one more second because this is also the part of the show where we want to hear from you. Do you know someone or some company that is creating a sustainable tomorrow today? Let us know at sustainablejoes.com and together we will create the biggest network of sustainable difference makers on the planet. And maybe we'll even highlight you right here on Sustainable Joe's 2084 podcast. As always, thank you to my producer Koji Nagata and the entire Buns Podcast Network. Thank you to Steam Whistle for the green beer. And thank you for listening. You can subscribe to 2084 on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And do us a favor write us a review while you're there lastly thank you to everyone who supports this project we are publicly funded and if you have the capacity please consider a monthly contribution to our patreon campaign which you can find at sustainablejoes.com music for this week's episode was provided by wolf saga you can find them on facebook by searching wolf saga always remember that our lives are fueled by power and that you my friends had the power to change the world. I'm Stephen Sutch, and we'll be back with a new episode next week. For now, I leave you with a track from your saga. I look forward to seeing your pictures. Cheers.
0: The door. I walk in, see a busy floor, Everyone smiling at this party, just take a breath, spend your time here wisely.